Now that uh, assisted suicide is legal, the question now becomes, should Robert Latimer also be given a pardon? If you're not familiar with Robert Latimer, he killed his severely disabled 12-year-old daughter, Tracy, back in 1993. And he did it through um, putting a pipe into a car and filling the cab of his truck uh, with exhaust fumes. And the case itself sparked a national conversation about the rights of those suffering severe disabilities. And Latimer felt that it was unfair for his daughter to live in chronic pain. And he felt that he was taking her life in a bit of compassion. But in a conversation about the ethics of euthanasia, you know, it's not one of these black and white issues. So he's been tried twice for the murder. He was convicted of second degree murder and then granted full parole back in 2010. But now he is asking uh, for a pardon, saying and arguing that he is the victim of miscarriage of justice. So he will be asking the Minister of Justice to pardon him. Let's bring Lauren Honickman into this conversation um, to see where he stands. Hey, Lauren. How are you? This is a complicated one. I mean, maybe not by the legal books, but certainly by, uh, you know, ethics and and morality and all the rest of it. It's a tough one. So so let's look at exactly that. There's actually two things that his lawyer is seeking. The very first is it's, it's an application that you can make under the criminal code where you're actually seeking... Uh, ministerial review and discretion. You you make this application directly to the Justice Minister of Canada, saying that, uh, uh, try to argue and say, look, even though he's gone through all the appeals and the Supreme Court of Canada um, uh, dismissed it, um, we, we'd like you, Minister of Justice, to look at this and see whether or not this is the type of case that you can say, this is a miscarriage of justice, uh, for all the reasons, and we're going to we're going to set this aside, and and the the justice minister can do that. It's it's one of those rare circumstances. Also, if the justice minister determines that okay, I, I think there has been a miscarriage of justice, one possible remedy is is ordering a new trial. So mm-hmm. he'd actually have to go through that again. Okay, so that's well. Let me take process. you back. What would the miscarriage of justice be? Well, perhaps looking at. <laughs> You know, at the time of his case, mm-hmm. as you remember, you know, he, his, his argument that throughout was that he loved his daughter. Mm-hmm. It was not a matter of anything at all uh, about uh, anything to do with him. He loved his daughter. She had that very, very severe form of cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. He thought that she was in constant, constant chronic pain. He couldn't watch her suffer. And you know what I remember, because, and I, you know, these are all the cases that you cover and you go through. And, and at the time, you know, the, the, the opinion about this was so polarized. You know, it was like, it was like abortion, right? It was exactly the same in the way of, you know, there was no middle ground on it. There were people who thought this was just murder. There was absolutely nothing you can do about it. And there were some who said to themselves, no, uh, we understand that. And you, do you remember, Alex, at his second trial, the judge there called it compassionate homicide. Right. I, and, and nobody, I, I remember at that time, nobody really, knew, there was no, there's no, of course, there's no such thing in the criminal code, mm-hmm. right? Uh, homicide is homicide. There's no such thing as compassionate. But, but again, that's, that's why the case was so unique. So you brought it up right at the top of this, and it's a very good thing because it provides the context. We live in a time now of um, assisted suicide. Um, at that time, 
perhaps Mr. Latimer and the family could have gone, uh, you know, to and and made the plea or whatever. But you know, the difference, of course, is it's not him it was his daughter right and so you had said he thought he was being compassionate he couldn't live seeing her suffer but again she didn't have a voice and therefore that 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 to me kind of makes it fairly obvious that he made a decision for her it was not her decision to have him help her end life and that's i think where the justice minister is going to have to come down on right and that's why and that's why the um the the lawyer's letter that he has written to um, uh, to the justice minister, and I'll just quote from from just one part of it. He said, "The manifest injustice in Mr. Latimer's conviction lies in the unfair and unlawful deprivation of perfectly legal pain relief." For Tracy Latimer, and Tracy Latimer's life should have ended unintentionally as a secondary consequence of her physician's administration of opiates to alleviate her pain. Mm-hmm. Her life shouldn't have been ended by her father's merciful and intentional administration of carbon monoxide. That's what he says the injustice was. That was the injustice to him. Was was and and take me back there because because you would have been uh, covering this case. You're, you're a little yeah. bit older than me. Would the Latimer case have been the first um, kind of real catalyst into the conversation of assisted death? Yeah, well, th- no. There there was another important case. Remember the Sue Rodriguez case? Yes, yes, yes. In the yeah, in yeah. The so that went to the Supreme Court before. before in, pardon this. me, in Vancouver. Now, now uh, it was a, it was interesting. It was in around the same time. Right. This his daughter. He killed his daughter in 1993. Sue Rodriguez was earlier, but it was in 1994 that the Supreme Court came out with a very, very important decision back then. They ruled four to three um, in upholding the criminal code's prohibition on assisted suicide. So so there was that, you know, it was interesting that you say that because I will always remember that it was at that time, that's when that whole conversation started. What are we going to do with people? So Sue Rodriguez was somebody who said, please allow me to die. I can't kill myself. And of course, the Latimer case was Robert Latimer making that decision himself uh, based on, you know, you know, based on what, what, um, uh, what he believed was the right thing to do at the time. Well, it's an it, it's a tough decision. This is going to be an interesting one to see yeah. which way uh, justice um, the justice minister goes yeah, on this. I just want to just I know yeah. we got to go. No, no, I've got time. You, you started it off by talking about a pardon. Mm-hmm. That's the other relief. It's almost like the secondary relief he's seeking. So he wants the first and foremost. He, it's this application to the justice minister, and then failing that, he's saying, okay, well then let's grant a pardon to him. Mm-hmm. So essentially, what a pardon is, of course, is 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 to just wipe away his criminal record and and his lawyer said a pardon would offer quote a glimpse of mercy compassion and justice but it also sets precedent though and that's the problem because you know uh, there's a slippery slope to the whole issue of assisted suicide that people have been worried about that you know when it comes to those who are vulnerable whether it's those with disabilities maybe a child when they can't speak for themselves it shouldn't be left up to others to play God. Right. And that becomes then, if they pardon this guy, you could have other people saying, well, you know, uh, using the same defense. Right. And what, and what will happen behind the scenes, of course, it'll, it'll be a ministerial decision. Um, I'm not sure about the pardon. I, you know, of course, there's a whole separate department that deals with that. 
but w- with respect to the uh, ministerial decision and the prime minister, because um, you know he's technically applying to the prime minister as well as the justice minister, um, what they have to say about it, it'll be very interesting. Whether they say anything, right? Of course, the Department of Justice isn't saying anything right now, uh, but it'll be interesting to to hear if anything what the government says. And you can rest assured, Alex, that the polarized opinion about this yeah. that was front and center when he got convicted mm-hmm. will be front and center now. You will, you'll see no middle ground. You, if social media gets a hold yeah. of this, which I'm sure you will, you'll see people, you'll read, and you'll see people will be on, on, on both sides of this, one end to the other. Yeah, I... Uh... I see it from, I, I get it, but I, I just, I'm very uncomfortable with anybody making a decision for somebody else. Yeah. I mean, look, it's a, it's such a personal thing. I don't judge, but, you know, for me, it's like, I would never be comfortable making a decision for someone else unless they gave me that permission right. to say, hey, this and, is, and, and you know. And people will say, people will say, look, this guy made a choice. He committed a criminal offense. Yeah. He was found guilty. He's convicted. He's got to live with those consequences, yeah. and that will be the one side. And then the other side will say, you know, look, this isn't normal. Give him a chance. Yeah. You know, uh, you never had to go through that. Right. I remember a lot of people would yep. say that back then. That was a, that was the soundbite on the street. You know, God knows what it must have been like for him. You yeah. know, how can we judge this man? Yeah, that's why you can see it from both sides. But I, yeah. I, I get it. It's going to be a polarizing, polarizing decision, and I have a feeling that the federal government will wait as long as humanly possible to yeah. decide this yeah. one. <laughs> That's a, I think that's a especially with a, especially with an election coming. Yes, exactly. You know? All right, thank you, sir. Okay, appreciate okay. it. Bye. That's Lauren Honickman uh, with a lot of good insight into uh, that case. That case has been around for decades now, still in the headlines. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.